my belief is that for any normal human being, forget about me, but how many good properties do you need a year to be wealthy in a five, six year period? Two or three, two or three good quality properties if you bought. And if you have a little bit of discipline, so I have a basic philosophy. If you take care of real estate for the first five years, real estate will take care of you for the rest of your life. And I live by that philosophy. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me here on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate it. I appreciate you tuning in. There are lots of places you could be right now and you're choosing to be here. That's very cool and I appreciate it and I do not take it for granted. If it's your first time tuning in, welcome to the show. I hope that we can really not only meet but exceed the expectations that you have for tuning in here. And if you are a longtime listener, thank you for that support. Thank you for that loyalty. I really, really appreciate it. Guys, we have a good one today. I like to in, in bring on all kinds of investors, right? People who have been doing this a long time, people who are a little bit newer, just to kind of make sure that everyone can relate to somebody. The guy that I have on today, he's big. I mean, he really knows his stuff. He's been doing this a while, and he has done some massive things in the industry, and not just in terms of deals, which he has done a ton of, but he's created something in Chicago, a RIA, that is the largest RIA, I believe, in the country. It's enormous. And he only started it five years ago. I was on his show a few weeks back. I got to know him a little bit, realized, wow, there's a lot of similarities between him and I, not just in how our careers have gone in some aspects, but just the way we look at things, which is really, really cool to talk to someone who you kind of really vibe with. You really uh, see things you know, in a similar way. It's sometimes it's a lot of fun hearing those similarities. But the guest that I have on today, I'm going to build a little bit of suspense. This guy has built the number one flipping team in Chicago. He's done over 850 fix and flip or wholesale deals in the Chicago market. He owns, my notes here say over 180 rentals, but it's actually over, I think like 250 or 260 at this point. Like he's just, he's a monster. He's just gobbling these things up and he owns over 2 million in assets. He uh, he started the real estate investors group in Chicago there. It's a number one real estate investor association in the United States. And over five years in a row, he's had a top real estate radio show on 560 AM, The Answer in the Chicago area and worked with over 450 investors in Chicagoland, helping them develop rental portfolios. And he's shared the stage with some big names like Les Brown and Lou Dobbs. He's just an amazing guy, and his name is Andrew Holmes. And I just had a blast talking to him, had a blast being on his show, and, and I had a great time having him on my show. This one's packed, guys. I'm telling you, he's one of those investors that is just so giving, no nonsense. He just tells you like it is. He gives away tons of value and, and just acts like it's no big deal. So get ready to write. You might want to listen to this episode twice, but at the very least, get ready to write because there is tons and tons and tons of value that's being dropped in this episode, and I'm stoked for it. So without any further ado, guys, I give you Andrew Holmes. Hey, Andrew, thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate you being on the show. Definitely excited to be here. Awesome. This is going to be fun. Uh, I was on your show a while back. We had a good talk, a good time, uh, some similarities, and uh, I'm excited to have you on my show because I you've just done so much. We started 
close to the same time frame and, and what you've accomplished is just uh, staggering. So uh, excited to have someone of your caliber to talk to my audience and, and share your knowledge with them. But let's get them up to speed. If they're not from your area or don't know who you are specifically, tell them a little bit about uh, my audience, please, about who you are, how you got started, maybe what you were doing before real estate and why'd you get into this crazy world of real estate to begin with? So I started in real estate kind of at the age of 19, 20, took kind of the school loans, got a real estate license, always wanted to be an investor, thought I was very ambitious. Took me till the age of 32 to actually start investing, which was 2008, 2000, January 2008. It was the first time I bought a flip. Did about 10 flips in 2008, 30 in 2009, 60 closed flips in 2010, and then 2011 started buying rental properties and reduced the number of flips that I was doing. And basically since then, we've been accumulating rental portfolio since 2011. 2015, we started a group called ChicagoREA.org, which is ChicagoREIA.org. That has about 10,000 plus members, real estate investors. So making it one of the largest association for investors in the country. So Typically, we do about 10 to 11 meetings every single month. And then I also run a group, which is called the Mastery Group, that has about close to about a 1,000 people in it. Okay. You've just created 100 questions that I have running through my head, okay? So let's go back because you, you've done so much and you've had success that I know I can speak from experience. Sometimes you forget how incredibly daunting it sounds for someone to hear what you just said. The first year you did your flip, your first flip was in 2008. Mine too, 2008. I did two deals that year and I felt like I was running around like crazy. You did 10. How in the world does one go from zero to 10 in their first year? How did you do that? So just to put this in perspective for the audience, if you do 10 closed flips in a year, that means you're buying about 16 properties, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have a pending inventory uh, of properties. So I want to kind of just caution people. You start in January. First property took me exactly 121 days. My goal was 120 days. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty numbers guy when it comes to kind of these things. And I was scared. So I did one flip, then I jumped into three flips after the 120 days. Now your first quarter is lost, right? And then I did three, and then I bought seven or eight more properties. So I went from one to three to nine rehabs at a time to 12. So that was kind of how I was scaling up. And what started happening was I talked with a bunch of people that there used to be this kind of funny story, a cigar lounge where I used to go to. So me, the proprietor of the place, we would talk about real estate. And all the people who were naysayers, they would sit in one group, me and him, we would always talk about what's possible. And he put in 20,000 bucks, I put in 20,000 bucks. And there were a couple of the business guys like, man, once you get your first one done, let us know. Hmm. So I got the first one done. Then the two other guys jumped in. They financed the purchase as well as the rehab. I bought two properties with the money me and this friend of mine had, and then they financed two of them. So I was able to go from one to three plus one, four properties. Mm -hmm. And then that multiplied into, you know, nine plus 12. So that was kind of the growth end of it because doing 10 flips closed in the year one. So some of them rolled over obviously to January closings. Sure. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. You're saying it so matter of factly. And that is still because it's funny, funny, the parallels. I did my first deal in 2008. 
That first deal attracted private money to me back then, and I funded all my subsequent deals from that first deal, and then private funders just kept piling out. Pretty soon, money was... I had the opposite problem most people have. I had too much money available to me. And then that is a problem because you have investors now who are on the sideline who want to use their money, and if you don't use it, they're going to go somewhere else, right? So it's this constant race to do it. But I know also one of the things I, I struggled with personally, and I know a lot of people do, when you're doing your first flips, it's like, contractor like how did you ramp up your contracting game to do those 10 deals man i didn't i mean i had never (laughs) i part of my i was born in u.s but most of my life i had grown up in india until i was 17 so you don't learn diy in india quite Mm. honestly i never owned a hammer i had no I, i didn't even know what a two by four was and the only project before i started doing flips was i had bought a townhouse to live in and that was kind of the first rehab that i had done okay and one of the guys who was kind of he was I mean, it's just horrible in terms of what I would consider as a jack of all trades. I mean, he drank, he'd been to jail, he did drugs, he did all kinds of things that God only knows. I don't even want to know. Yeah. But he was my electrician, he was my plumber, he was my <laughs> jack of all trades for the first property. Yeah. Now, one thing I did kind of get lucky with, I got I got lucky with a tile guy that I knew somebody. So as the flips went out, I first one, I didn't pull permits, not proud of it, but that's what I did. And we used to run like the 4 to 3 a.m. shift, 4 o'clock in the evening, because then the inspectors would be gone to the 3 a.m. shift. And I had to pick him up from his house, make sure he showed up, and then go back and put him to bed. It was wow. it was not pretty. But with each flip that I did, what I realized was that the amount of time and effort it cost me, I could have hired an electrician, a plumber, whatever. And this is 2008, mind you. Hmm. So people were actually easy to find. It's just that if I knew what to do, they would have been very easy to find, which I realized after the first third or fourth flip. That's incredible. Uh, as someone who knows what it's like to do that, I made plenty of mistakes and I, I'm, boy, I can't even tell you how many mistakes I made in that first house. But it sounds like you kind of, you dealt with what you had on the first one, right? And just upgraded kind of as, as you went along. And I was desperate. I mean, I, I was, I sold a lot of real estate at one time and I got so sick of doing cold calls. That's how I built up that business. I made a good amount of money. I would make half a million dollars net selling real estate. So I did pretty well compared to most people. But I was sick of it and I wanted right. out. And then I got into, you know, from a small fire, I jumped into the forest fire doing that many flips. But <laughs> I didn't tell my wife that I was doing this uh, at the time I was married. And I just didn't want to fail. I mean, there was just, Listen. you know, and I, I thought I would let my friends down, these couple guys that yeah. trusted me. And I just was trying to save face. Really. That's that was funny. Like, we're such kindred spirits. I did tell my wife, but I didn't tell my family. And the, the funny little, I won't get into it because this isn't my story, but my family found out I was flipping houses because I did it so long and had built some success that I was being interviewed by the Detroit Free Press on the Sunday paper. And my family read about me in the paper. And I still hadn't told them because I was nervous to tell them because I thought I was going to fail. That is incredible, man. Just incredible. Now, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm just curious. You did all those deals in the first you know, few years. Are you still flipping at all or is it all rentals right now? Right now for you? No, no, we do flips, but uh, we do very few. We do okay. very selective flips and we do more wholesales today. Okay. I mean, obviously I know a lot of people will build a huge center of influence basically. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot more wholesales. We'll do every time I do a flip today, I basically hold my nose because number one, I have the staff to do it, yeah. but it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So just a lot of work. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I mean, one thing I really quickly want to point out in 2008 per flip, I made 28,500 per flip. 2009, I did 30 flips 
and my profit had gone down to 22,000. And then 2010, where you should be getting better per year, mm-hmm. I was backsliding because I was trying to do more business. Yeah, yeah. And by 2010, I was losing money on some of the flips I was doing, and I was only making eight or 10,000 bucks on the ones that I did. So yeah. instead of making more money, I actually made more money in 2009 than I did in 2010. Yeah. Just doing more is not necessarily better. I think we might have been separated at birth because same thing. I pivoted to wholesaling. I do way more wholesales now. When I do a flip and I have a partner in my, in my real estate company is he's like, let's, let's flip it. Let's do more flips. And I'm like, I don't want to, like, I have to basically be dragged into that project because I'm not a big, for me personally, it just, I, I did it for a long time. And there's just parts of that aspect of the industry that just kind of drive me crazy. I'd rather wholesale stuff and buy rentals. Now, I think you answered my next question, but the question was going to be, you were doing all those flips, you were ramping up, you were doing more and more and more. Why kind of switch your focus over to buy and hold? I, I think I know you just sort of told me the, the finances, yeah. but what you made know, you? So the deal was I came from both my parents passed away now, but both my parents were surgeons back in India. And what I saw was two extremely hardworking people. I mean, literally both of them left the house seven o'clock in the morning. My mom got home at eight o'clock at night. My dad got home at 11 o'clock. And I saw that for, you know, 20, 25 years. And they were extremely dedicated people. But yet compared to the amount of work they worked, I mean, we were pretty well off compared to most people. But if you truly ask me, did they have enough to show for it? No, there were two professionals running on a treadmill. Mm. And I was always the kid that was like, well, we have two or three cars. They would say, well, we have more than most. We're blessed. And I'm like, yeah, but other people's parents are more blessed. They have 10. Yeah. And why not 10? Right. And I don't know about your parents, but my parents, when they didn't have an answer, I got a whack on my head. Go study. <laughs> right. And my whole deal was, well, why not me? I mean, yeah. I since I was came to America, uh, I came back to America, I should say, my goal has always been, I'm fascinated by aviation. So yep. I was, I always used to go to the corporate air, to the executive airport, look at big houses, big jets, big cars. I was just fascinated, hmm. right? And the way I was going each year in starting in sometime around kind of Thanksgiving through Christmas and New Year's, I was depressed because I was scared how I was going to repeat what I did this year, hmm. next year. I tried all positive books. I tried everything. And I would get so depressed because I'm like, man, this is scary. At the time, I was less than 32 years old. And I mean, in my 30s, and I'm like, I'm feeling just burnt out. I can't carry this on. And really, that was the reason why I had gotten into business in the first place. When I started selling real estate, I thought I was going to invest. Then I started doing flips. I thought I was investing. And I realized I was just trading properties. So rentals was my way of saying, I'm going to buy three or four rentals and I'm going to have them paid off. Once it's paid off, net cash flow is going to be about a thousand bucks a month per property. So at least I have three to 4,000 coming in every month. And that was my initial goal was to buy it, rehab it, refinance it, have tons of equity in it and pay the property off because I felt scared. Even though I made good money, I always felt scared. If I went on vacation, I felt guilty. And I was just sick and tired of that feeling. And I was like, at least I want some security in life yeah. because I tried being poor and it just sucked. So, <laughs> didn't I fit mean, you very well? Didn't like it? Didn't so very well at all. can I ask, what did you do before real estate? I didn't. I mean, I waited tables. Okay. College. Okay. I, you know, so, so uh, if and again, I, I don't want to get too personal, and you can tell sure. me it's not none of my business. But were your parents alive long enough to see you go into business for yourself? You know, so my it's kind of weird. Uh, my parents, my dad passed away this year in January. Okay, 
uh, January sorry. 6th, and my mom passed away this year in on February oh, 8th. My goodness, I'm very sorry. And okay. um, my goal always was I was going to buy an airplane. Right. This was I used to tell them since I was a kid and they used to tell me, you can't talk like that. This doesn't seem reasonable. Grown up people don't talk like this because, mind you, we're around all these surgeons, doctors, well to do, supposedly people. And I was just this kid who was kind of a little crazy, I guess. And one day I saw this I was in Hong Kong and I saw this fleet of Rolls Royces in front of a Peninsula Hotel, you know, and I was like, Dad, one day I'm going to buy it. You know, and I would say these crazy things in front of other people. And any parent would be like, oh, my God, our kid is embarrassing. So to kind of sum up your question, last year when they were here, I was able to send my rolls to pick them up with the driver from the O'Hare airport and then take them on my airplane and just for fun. And then as life would have it this year, I mean, this was my goal. My goal always was that one day I'm going to make my parents proud and I'm going to buy them something that will blow their mind. And last year when they were here, my dad went out and picked out, I took him to the Rolls dealership, this beautiful brand new Bentley. And this was my goal. When I do the big events, I was going to get this, put it on stage on a turntable, and I was going to give it to him on February the 19th this year. And both of them passed away. My dad about 30 days before that, and my mom about two weeks before that, before I did the event. But the proudest moment in my life was that to all his friends, he sent all the pictures when he was here sitting in the back of the Rolls Royce and saying, you know, my son made it, right? It was the proudest moment for him. And for me to be able to see him sit back there, I mean, every time I take on that car, nobody gets it. Why would you buy an ostentatious car? And for me, it was like kind of I made it, that I don't have to necessarily worry about how much it costs or what it is, that it's just a small part of what real estate has been able to help me do. Wow, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing that that, uh, personal story. I appreciate it. You know, that's the risk you run sometimes when you ask a question. It's a little bit personal. It could hit really close to a recent subject. And so I'm sorry about your parents passing. Obviously, that's horrible. So close together too. But that story is, it hits home, right? Like some people, why do we do what we do? Like what do, what do we care about in life? And what is it that we're, we're trying to accomplish and what makes us happy? And I think that's a powerful story. So thank you again for well, sharing I, that. I think I feel very blessed because I felt I had parents. I never agreed with them because they always said we're professionals. And I said, well, and they're like my friend's parents who I thought were very wealthy. I didn't realize that they, they just had factories, they had businesses. And my mom used to say, oh, they're business people. And what I felt I had big shoes to fill. So my way was like, well, I did it my way, but I wanted them to see that this way of doing it would work. And that was my biggest reason was all the trials, tribulations. I never wanted to go back home because it wouldn't be my defeat. I know how my parents were. They would take it as, oh, our son didn't make it. So they would feel that they failed. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. I I understand what you're saying. I I do. And that's a big weight, obviously, right? It's not just you and what you feel like maybe you didn't succeed when your family's going to put it on themselves. That's humongous. Out of curiosity, back in 2008 then, was that a difficult conversation when you said, hey, this is what I want to do? I never, I mean, quite honestly. Oh, you didn't tell them. That's right. No, I, even in college, you know, I had a little bit of scholarship, not a whole lot, but even the Pell Grant or something, that's the money I took and I put it into getting a license at that age. I used to have a very, very thick Indian accent. I still have it a little bit, but it was kind of interesting in Morgantown, West Virginia, trying to sell real estate. And I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them that I didn't finish college, right? I'm probably, everybody in my family either, either is a physician or at least has one or two PhDs. Yeah. Right. 
So yeah. I was kind of the kid who was just wacky. I didn't drink. I didn't party. I was just focused. I mean, my focus was I got to make it. I mean, and that's what I went to college for. And then I quit. So I didn't yeah. for a year or two. I didn't even talk to them because I felt ashamed about me because I didn't think I was succeeding. So you were like a rebel, but not with drugs and alcohol and partying. You were just a rebel because you bucked what you your family wanted for you and what they wanted you to do. You know what though? It's like Steve Jobs, right? It's the it's the crazy ones. It's the it's the risk takers. It's the rebels that that change the world. So that's an awesome story. I have in my notes here that you have like 180 rental properties. Is that is that accurate at this point? Yeah, about 260. To it. So kind of we the way we do because of where I had come from, we're a part of our you know experiences in life. My experience was started out obviously trying to prove a point took me a while to prove that point. And then I realized that I I was becoming my parents, which is you have to go to work to generate income. Now, fortunately for them, they were passionate. I loved real estate, but my problem was that I was like, I have to be there. And I didn't want to ever be in a position to have to. So in 2008, we started buying properties. And my commitment was I'm never going to use a penny of the rental income ever until I have them all paid off. And at that time, the goal was four properties, then it became eight, then it became 12. Then today, it's somewhere around 240 or 250 properties. And we have about 80 of them completely paid off. And I've never, ever touched a single dime that came in from the rental income and cash flow. So we do what's called 257. And that's what I try to convince everybody, which is two years, five properties, get them paid off in seven. Or in markets where the prices is higher, two years, five properties, get them paid off in seven. So we could seven or or ten. So two five seven cash flow for life or two five ten cash flow for life. Gotcha. And that's a philosophy that I follow one hundred percent. I love that. That's smart. And and I'm just I want to ask you because I with what's happening now, like it's a very timely topic, but I've talked to folks that said, listen there's a correction coming. There's some kind of a downturn that we're on the brink of right now for various reasons, right? There's a lot of things that are being sort of propped up artificially from a financial standpoint in the in the country. Is it your opinion, or, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you think that there's going to come a time where like 2008 and, and, and you start buying properties in 2011, what a great time to start buying properties, right? Like hindsight being 2020, that's exactly when you should have been buying properties. So do you see that coming again in the near future where this is the time to gobble up properties because of the the values or whatever? I think so. I mean, like you're in a market, you're in the Detroit market. I Mm -hmm. mean, obviously the Chicago market, we're opening a center in the Tampa market, but in Tampa market, it's going to be different than it's going to be in the Chicago or the Detroit markets Yeah, because we're in the kind of the mid Midwest, the blah markets of the world. I mean, these are big markets in general and our markets are uh, because of political reasons, because of other reasons, we're going to have a lot of, I mean, in Chicago market, it's a 9 million people MSA area. We had 40,000, 39,560 pre-foreclosures before we got into COVID. If you go out of COVID and once the foreclosure starts, that number 110% is going to be above 90,000 pre-foreclosures right? Yeah. Pre-foreclosures alone is going to be that number is there. Now, the absorption rate, because people are moving from the northern part of the country in general to the south, southeast, southwest, and you're going to have that natural move of people anyways. And I think these markets are going to get affected much, much, much more. It may not happen all at once, but I truly, truly feel for sharp investors, there's going to be another time. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime, at least, because you get one big correction. But I think we're going to see another one, at least, in both mine and your lifetime. 
I think so too. Are, are you like, is your is your strategy right now to sort of stockpile and wait for that, or are you just buying properties as you want? You're not worried about it. You know, we buy properties basically for rentals based on a simple criteria. It has to have 30% equity based on a very, very, very conservative ARV. I'll give you an example. The way we continue to buy properties, and I've done this from the beginning, we have A markets affluent, B is bread and butter, C is markets with some challenges, Mm -hmm. and then B is lots of challenges put together is a disaster market. That's how I kind of categorize the markets. We tend to stick to bread and butter and C, maybe a little bit of a challenge in some markets, but that's it. I tend to buy all around the suburbs. I don't go to the city yeah. um, just because I think it creates more challenges in certain parts yeah. of Chicago, yeah. right? There are some phenomenal returns. And in our market, like every single property that we at least own, so I own these properties with my business partner and every property that we own produces a minimum of 450 in net cash flow if you average it out, if not higher, mm-hmm. every single one. And every property that we've bought is going to be anywhere from sixty to eighty thousand in purchased, about twenty thousand in rehab, all in cost hundred to hundred and ten. And on a conservative appraisal, it'll appraise out like refi conservative appraisal about one fifty, one sixty. So about forty, fifty thousand minimum in equity, thirty, thirty-five percent in equity. It'll have about four fifty in net cash flow after all expenses, including principal interest taxes, insurance management. And on top of that, it'll have a DCR debt coverage ratio of close to one point five, one point six, if not higher. And I tend to be very fanatical about those numbers. And in my market, we can do that all day long. I tell people, and you jump in if you disagree, I'm not trying to say this is your philosophy, but I feel like when it comes to the rental market, it's the way I look at it, like there's a scale, right? At one very end of the scale, far end of the scale, there's high appreciation potential, low cash flow. And at the other end of the scale, there's like virtually no appreciation, if any, and high cash flow, right? And then there's everything in the middle. It sounds like you're closer to the middle, like you're looking for cash flow plus appreciation. What do you say to folks who say, listen, equity comes and goes. It's a fleeting thing. I'm going to go for no equity. By the way, we're usually talking the CD markets. No equity, but maximum cash flow because I know that equity can go away. What do you say to those people? That's fine. I mean, that's their business plan. I mean, my business plan is very simple. Usually it was, I wanted 3000 a month net cash flow. Yeah. Right? That's all I cared for. Then it was 6000 Then it was 10000 Now it's 100000 a month in cash flow, both for me and for my business partner. For that, I need 220 properties completely paid off cash. I know I don't make things very complicated. I keep things very simple. And people tell me all the time, well, why not buy a multi-unit big property, (laughs) this property? I'm like, listen, I'm not a very educated human being. I understand basic things. And I stick to basic things. I try not to. I'm a school of thought of you know, the legend of investing, Mr. Warren Buffett, right? I've read those books over and over and over. And a hundred paid off properties in my market means you have a little bit over a hundred grand in cash flow a month, right? Most people, I don't care if you're multi-unit investors, I don't think they have that kind of cash flow. That's just my philosophy. And I can do that within the next five to eight years. It's not whether it's, we will have that. I don't care if the properties go up, if they go down, whatever happens, happens. But I know that comes in, even with the situation that nobody could have predicted, the corona thing. I know what our numbers are. And in Chicago, I mean, literally, we have a group of about 900 people that are from that mastery group. To give you some perspective on that, in the last four and a half years, these people have bought 11,000 rental properties following this exact formula. We don't do any year rentals. We all do two to three year rentals only. Mm, okay. Right. I don't care if somebody comes in with 850 credit scores. We're just not doing it. 
So average tenant lives in the property 4.7 years. That's the average tenant. We have a collection rate before Corona of about 98.9% collection rates. And we track all those metrics. Even with this challenge we have had, we're over 93%, 94% across the board. Not just my numbers. These are across the board. So it's very old school way of investing. And my belief is that for any normal human being, forget about me, but how many good properties do you need a year to be wealthy in a five, six year period? Two or three, two or three good quality properties if you bought. And if you have a little bit of discipline, so I have a basic philosophy. If you take care of real estate for the first five years, real estate will take care of you for the rest of your life. And I live by that philosophy. Wow. That is so good, man. That is so good. It's weird. Every time you tell me something that you believe, your philosophies, I I feel like we're getting closer. I'm in the Detroit market. All my rentals are in the suburbs. I don't go into Detroit. Same reason. There's challenges and, and there's money to be made for sure, but I don't really want to deal with it. Yeah, I just it's 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 just a very very similar philosophy. So let's talk a little bit about the logistics because that's a lot of rentals, right? And some people listening go, I don't have two hundred and fifty rent. Like I don't, I'm, I can't even conceive of that. But that's okay. It's it's just it everything scaled up and scaled down. Obviously, you have management. Do you do your own? Pro- I mean, I don't mean you particularly, but do you have a company? Did you start a property management company, or do you rely on a third party? We have two ladies in the office, actually one and a half, I should say, that uh, does the rent collection. My business partner does managing, kind of uh, paying all the bills, you know, the tax expense, mm-hmm. the tax bills, all the kind of the the higher level of it. And then I have one guy who basically kind of is the quote unquote GC. I mean, he works for us full time, yeah. but he kind of arranges, well, something is broken. So he'll send the electricians, air conditioning guys, all that kind of stuff. So we have staff of one and a half in terms of rent collection. And then one guy that oversees that. And then my business partner manages all the refis and making sure wow. everything is going on clock. That's it. So, so you do internally manage. You don't personally do it necessarily, but no. you internally manage. That's pretty impressive. Out of curiosity, why not just go to another company, let them handle all the headaches? We tried, we thought about it from time to time. My business partner, he's, I'm not that tight with money. He's very cheap. I always have believed do business with people that are cheaper than you. They're good for your business. <laughs> That's right. You're right. Uh, he's even more conservative. And I'm fortunate in that way that unless you have your finger on the pulse, this is just me. It's tough to keep a track of what happens with expenses. Here, his butt is on the line. He has something to lose yeah. if something happens with these properties. Yeah. So, And even he is maybe dedicating a couple hours to three hours a day to it. He's not putting in that much time. So it's just worked out well the way we do it. With that kind of portfolio, I have 20 rentals, right? So nothing at all in your range. But I know that it is kind of a constant sort of issue, the uh, the rental inspections, like the city, you know, periodic every year, two years, three years, they want to inspect the property. And of course, they have to justify their existence. So they're going to find something that can be hairy, after, you know, can just get crazy. Like, how do you deal with that? So we have a couple people like now, obviously, when we built out Chicago Ria, this group of mastery, we've been very, very blessed that a lot of, you know, what happens is I always believe the leadership is kind of defines who the people that will follow along in your tribe. Meaning if you're honest, you'll find honest people to do business with. If you're a crook, you'll find people exactly like you, right? In any organization. And fortunately, we have, I've always believed that you have to run a business in a fair manner. And we have found a lot of people that are building their own portfolios. Like in certain parts of town, the southern suburbs, we have guys that will do all the rentals for us. They're building their own portfolios. Clearly, they were part of the class that I do, I teach, but they just specialize in doing all the rentals and all the rental inspections. I mean, there's a guy that last year, he did 330 rentals and he had never done one rental before. 
So he's learned the system and we just use him as a subcontractor to do the leasing Mm -hmm. for us, to do the repairs, to go to the city inspections. And so we have that in each part of town. So we do groupings like south suburbs. We have X amount of properties. Mm -hmm. We don't go and buy a one-off property anywhere because it doesn't matter how good the deal is. It's incredibly pain in the butt to manage. That's smart. That's really smart, actually. That's a good idea. And that's one of the things that I did not do well is I did do one-offs. And those those are difficult, right? Because nobody wants to have one property in one remote area that they're dealing with. Man, that is uh, super impressive. Like It's just it's still mind-boggling because we started about the same time. And the amount of volume and the fix and flips, I mean, I've done several hundred fix and flips and wholesale deals. But you you did rentals too. Like you you didn't just do fix and flip in, in wholesale deals. You built this rental portfolio, which is absolutely mind boggling. In this RIA that you've built, uh, that people are getting tons of value from. I know you're a big networking guy. That you believe in that. Tell me how that benefits people. The, the the person who says, ah, I'm just gonna I'll read a few books. I'll listen to this podcast, and then I'll just go out and do it. I don't need to go to RIAs. I don't need the networking. Tell me why they're maybe not seeing something. Man, I was always looking for answers, right? I'd go read books. I mean, when my friends were partying, I was reading books. They'd come back, tell me how much fun they had at the party. And I'd tell them, dude, this guy's rich, man. We should learn from him. That's just how I was. Yeah, and I just yeah. didn't help it, right? And I actually believed in all this crazy stuff. The problem is that reading books, all it does is gives you insomnia because you're excited and you don't know what the hell to do. And you can't go to sleep. You're frustrated. I mean, it happens to me till today. The challenge with that is this, that just because like we all were doing a podcast today and there's so many wonderful people, successful people, but just because they talk about something doesn't mean necessarily I can duplicate it. Maybe they can duplicate it, but, and there's a disconnect. And what I found was that I met a lot of people whenever I was being a real estate agent, that it was the same thing. And then with the RIAs, there were a lot of local RIAs where there were a lot of these quote unquote leaders that the last time they did a deal was 1983. And I was frustrated. I'm like, if you talk about that, you have apples and you have an apple orchard, I want the address. I want to go see it. I mean, that's just, and people will be like, well, why would you want to do that? It's personal information. I'm like, guys, this is real estate. This is public records. (laughs) This is not personal. And I was just frustrated whenever I would find out that these guys were great. They knew everything there was to know about real estate. They just didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So when I started the RIA, my commitment was, we're never going to have a guru. If you don't do what you say you talk about, we're never going to have you. And we're going to give honest information. And that bothered a lot of people. Because they're like, well, Andrew is just giving it away. I'm like, well, listen, the more I give it away, people want to pay lots more money to get more. Yeah. Right. I mean, there was no secret to what I was doing because I was the guy who I would go everywhere and then try to do these concepts at home and they didn't work. Hmm. And then what I realized was there was a synergy. So we built a organization where we share information freely. We don't care. You want to copy paste it, use it. I don't give a damn. I don't think it's like Michael Jordan trying to teach you or me basketball. (laughs) What do you think? He's afraid that we're going to beat him at basketball. I mean, for God's sake, the guy's Michael Jordan, right? Mm -hmm. That's been kind of my philosophy that the more I give away is the more I get to learn. I could have never grown had I not started Chicago Ria. It was impossible because there were so many areas just even in Chicago. I didn't know anything about And the more I shared, they're like, oh my God, did you know about this pocket? Did you know about this pocket? And I'm like, oh God. And I, because I understood real estate, I was able to take the most advantage of it. And it's just a fact. So I think it's incredible to find the right people. The problem today is not lack of information. It's too much information. And that's where people get confused. I couldn't agree more. And I think my summary of that is if you think that you don't need to surround yourself with 
people who are doing the business, to your point, I had the same frustration. Everyone talked a good game, but very few people were doing anything. But if you think surrounding yourself with people who are actually doing the business at a high level, that you won't be able to exponentially increase not only just your learning, but your growth and your business. If you think that's not going to happen, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. And I tried it both ways. So I can say for a fact, I didn't go to RIA's. I didn't hang out with investors. I just, I'm not a super outgoing person in public like that. So I, I tended to kind of keep to myself. And it wasn't until I started surrounding myself, masterminds and RIA's and going to these events and talking to people that my business exploded. I, it is, I'm with you. I would never be where I am right now if I had not started networking and getting to know people and understanding how they were doing business so I could apply the best practices to mine. So absolutely agree 100%, man. Well, listen, Andrew, this has been awesome. I knew you were going to drop gold. I seriously did. I don't say this all the time. This isn't cliche. You gave way more than I expected even. like So thank you very much for that. Just not only on a personal inspirational level, but on a tactical business level, just absolute gold. And this is a testament to what you're saying in your area. You just give it away. You just you just tell them everything and, and who cares? Like, so what? And I, I love that philosophy. I have the same thing. So thank you for that, man. Is there anything that we can do for you? Anything that people should know about what you're up to, how they can get a hold of you if they want? Any Any information you want to give? Uh, they can always reach us at andrewholmesrealestate.com or go on YouTube, uh, which is Andrew Holmes Real Estate. And we have tons of fun videos from here, from Tampa. And that sort of a philosophy, which is 257, two years, five properties, have them all paid off in seven. About 98% of America, you can do that. I mean, if you're in Detroit or if you're anywhere in the country, any middle part of the country, anywhere, even in Florida, only strip you can't do it probably on is South Beach right? That one strip. Everywhere else, 98% of properties fit those numbers. Two, five, seven, two years, five properties, have them paid off at seven. And then you can do 10, 15, 20, really doesn't matter. The scale is up to you. But my suggestion would be is pick one person, pick one philosophy. There's too much information. And the people who I think suffer the most are people who listen to 50 different things Hmm. and then they don't succeed at anything. Great advice, 100%. I've been there and done that. So thank you for that that too. Man, well, listen, this has been fun. I appreciate you uh, being on my show. After I was on yours, that was a lot of fun being on yours. This was great. I know everyone's going to get a ton out of it. So thank you for that. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I think that Andrew really laid it out there. I mean, he just gave and gave and gave. There was tons of gold bombs. You should go back and listen to that twice. I really do think there's enough there that you will get a lot out of it the second time around. So I know I was taking notes. Andrew's the real deal, guys. He's doing it. And he has done a ton of flips and wholesales. And he has a ton of rentals in his portfolio. And he's paying them off. You know, he's not one of these guys that's just over leveraged and like losing money. But on paper, it sort of looks like he's doing something. He's got a ton of rental. He told you like 80 of them are paid off out of his 260, I think he said, are paid off. So, And he's working toward getting 220. He's very specific. He knows how many he needs to get paid off to get to his goal of income per month. And uh, that's exactly how you do this. You just run your numbers, you watch your numbers, and you achieve, you achieve your goals. And, and I love that he put it out there. He just gave it all away, and he's a very straightforward guy with just tons of knowledge. So hopefully you enjoyed that. But listen, he didn't get there by sitting on his butt and not doing anything, right? He got out there and got started. So get out there and get started. Start building your portfolio. Start working on that 257 strategy strategy that he talked about so you can escape, escape the rat race and live life on your terms. All right, go out there and make today the best day. Okay. 
you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start, as two words now, just start to the number 55444. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.